Thursday morning, betting dork Sheila Alexander, pregame.com, and he has joined us on Thursdays before, never on a non-horse racing Thursday, though. We look forward to that next week with the Belmont, but here he is, ladies and gentlemen, your GM of picks, Marco D'Angelo. What's happening, Marco? Gil, let me just say, I'm having a great day, and uh, I feel honored to be able to be the guy that comes on the podcast with you today, because... It's a monumental day for Gil Alexander and pregame.com. Today, and you know, you open up, you know, calling yourself a dork, and then I'm going to talk about popping your cherry on your podcast. Oh, Today, man. you get to pop your cherry as a pro at pregame.com. Great segue, huh? Pop, popping the cherry sounds so violent and aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it is your maiden voyage. We'll, we'll throw out, since I am the horse guy, you are uh, in your maiden race today. You get to uh, go for your first win as a pro. But I'll tell the listeners out there, that's not going to be a problem because what you've done so far this baseball season, uh, you've given your entire baseball season for free here at pregame. Your thread in the forums every day is the most popular thread. Now, unfortunately, I'm looking at uh, the forums at the moment, and you are getting beat today by Aaron Andrews. I, I guess there are just some <laughs> limitations. That Anytime somebody puts Aaron Andrews up and has a shot of her with her legs in the air, viewers are going to go look at that picture. So sorry for that. But next to Aaron Andrews, you, Andrews, you are the man. And uh, 15 games over 500. uh up nearly 13 units for the baseball season. Your analysis, your write-ups, your breakdowns. Um, guys have seen that you are the real deal. I'm ecstatic to have you on as a pro. And I look forward to you selling. But you know what? You know mm. We have prices people have to pay. And even though today is your first day as a pregame pro and selling picks, I'm penalizing you. And I'm rewarding our customers at pregame. You only get to sell for a buck today. Oh, wow. we're, making, we're making you, you know, it's, you know <laughs> the rite of passage, you know, if you were here, you probably would have got, you know, a shaving cream uh, pie in the face or stuff like that. But, you know, you got to go through and pay your dues. Your grand opening best bet for a dollar. So officially, you know, how everybody, when they open a new business, you know, they always take that first dollar you know, on their you know their door or something. Yeah. There you go, baby. You got the. You are the dollar. I mean, your, your first sale literally is a dollar. Congratulations. Well, thank you, Mark. It's like a frat hazing in here. Yeah. It it, it is, and uh, you know, great stuff. I gotta I gotta say, and you know, now you know, I've gave I've given you enough praise that when I do this next one, people are going to think I definitely have a man crush, but <laughs> I think you definitely have opened up the pregame sales team. I mean, as GM of marketing, you know, GM of picks and selling picks, my job is, you know, to push the picks here at pregame. I've got a whole new audience that I can sell to now. We're, we're going to start pushing the uh, ladies' websites because you are definitely the, the best-looking guy at pregame. Wow. I know my uh, my new wife uh, when she saw the homepage last night and said, "Who's the new guy?" I said, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to tell her that was a picture taken before I worked at pregame, where I've been working ragged, uh, handicapping <laughs> all day long. Well, well you know, she, she's getting to see that in real life. What that does. <laughs> 
It's, it's no joke. We put in the time, that's for sure. Good Lord. Uh, but, you know, the thing about it, Gil, and I know you and, and if talking with you and if got to meet you when you're out here in Vegas, um, you know, the two times you were out, you know, you live and breathe this. I mean, when you absolutely love something, you know, it's not work. And, you know, so many people, you, you got to listen to them every day, you know, you know, you go to lunch, you hear people talking about, you know, they're, they're complaining about their job and they hate what they do in that. There's not many people that get to wake up every day and say, I love what I do. And so true. As a sport, as a sports handicapper, I've gotten to wake up every day for 30 years saying, I love what I do. And I get that vibe from you when, when I met you, your passion to this and, um, you know, Guys, it's a great dollar investment today to check out Gil Alexander. And beyond that, you know, we put up a special for you. Uh, you know, again, you know, we, you know, we're hammering you hard as, uh, you know, taking you from uh, to be a pro. But uh, we're offering Gil Alexander's. Um, we'll have it up for one week, um, one week only. You can pick up Gil Alexander through the All Star break. Um, this is $650 value, this package. We're offering it for $270. So um, my suggestion, buy Gil for a buck today. See what he's all about. You know, Unless you've been living under a rock, you already know that, what he's all about. And then uh, check out that all-star package from Gil Alexander. Wow. Jeez, Marco, the, I have two thoughts. One, thank you very much, sir. And then the second one is, man, is this an awkward show. Well, three, and don't forget that $100 bill you're supposed to send me. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Check is in the mail, as they say. Wow. Oh, no problem. Uh, You want to talk some sports uh, since we've had the first few minutes of uh, the Love Fest for Gil? Yeah, I mean, let's do that. I I do want to say one thing because I know this comes up all the time on the the thread. And, again, I am humbled. I I can only hope to, uh, you know, uh, I aspire to what you and all the other pregame pros uh, have done here, the standard that you've upheld um, from RJ on down. So, you know, again, thank you. I'm humbled. Um, the one thing that everyone asks is, you know, and it's asked of everyone, you know, are you betting these yourself? And the answer is yes, I am. Um, there's nothing that I would ever recommend, whether uh, paid, whether free, whether anything, that I don't do myself and back up, you know, personally. Um, so rest assured that that's the case with me, as quite frankly it ought to be, and I'm sure it is, with everyone. So, But I've gotten that question several times, and I just want to clear that up. Um, right off the top. So, yes. If you're, you know, how can, to me, how can you invest money with somebody that's not putting their own money in it? You know, that's, that's what I, you know, I love about stockbrokers. You know, you, when they, they tell you to, they cold call you and try to sell you a hot stock and, you know, and you ask them, well, how many shares do you have? And, oh, well, I'm, I'm not, you know, investing in the market at the moment. Really? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, really? Yeah. <laughs> so it's good enough for me, but it's not good enough for you. Yeah. So uh, that's uh, you know that's a great answer, and in uh, you know I I know it's true, and you know all of us guys you know you know here at the pregame the you know, the majority of the guys that I do know personally uh, all wager on their games, and uh, it's 
the only way to go. But uh, speaking of wagering, let's let's see if we can make some uh, money for our listeners. Uh, NBA basketball uh, definitely getting a, a little interesting. Um, you know the Boston Orlando uh, you know series. You know everybody put a, a fork in the Orlando Magic when they were down three nothing, and uh, you know come back with two you know gutty performances. Um, you know to force a game six in Boston and. You know, really, you know, looking forward to Friday night. The uh, the Celtics do have some pressure on them, and uh, the Celtics, for the first time, are starting to show a little bit of age and may be a little thin for the Friday night game. Uh, waiting to see what the league says today on the uh, the two technical fouls on uh, you know Parkins because that puts him at seven. And um, there, there is a you know rule in the NBA if you you pick up seven uh, personal or technical fouls, um, you are automatically suspended. And, he, and that was his seventh during the playoffs. So uh, this is a situation that the technical fouls. If you watch the game last night, very questionable. Um, the league does have the ability to review them and rescind a technical foul. I would highly expect them to do that. I don't think they will uphold it. Um, but if they lose Perkins, if they do uphold it and lose Perkins for Friday, and you got, you know, Glenn Davis took a, you know, a shot to the head and was, you know, dazed and confused and had to leave the game uh, last night in the fourth quarter, uh, you know, with the concussion uh, question mark for Friday, uh, suddenly Boston can be in trouble and I think the key to last night and it was really the basis to you know to my you know play last night Gil you're a numbers guy I'm a situational guy and I look for things that you know are just situations that you know everybody doesn't think about and Boston had been rolling through this and you know everybody thought that Boston what you know nobody thought they were going to do what they were going to do I mean, this is a surprise that they moved past the Cavs in the way they took the first three games against uh, Orlando. And, you know, suddenly everybody says, you know, oh, well, now this is a veteran team, you know, they're just two years removed from, you know, the NBA championship, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they forget the fact that this is a veteran team that is very old. Because of the crazy schedule of the NBA and the way they stretch out the early rounds, Last night was the first time uh, that Boston had to travel with only one day rest. All of the other games that they've been playing, when they changed cities, they had two or more days in between. Hmm. And my play last night was the over. I have been a large proponent, and uh, a lot of people debate me on this, but tired teams do not play defense. It is always easier to score than it is to stop somebody from scoring. You spend more energy stopping somebody defensively than you do actually scoring offensively. And at the end of the game on uh, Monday night, that game went to overtime. Boston looked like a very tired team in the overtime period and then had to turn around, travel to Orlando, and play with just one day in between. And you saw the younger legs of Orlando last night. I thought they would come out and force the tempo fast early, and they did. And, you know, that's 
to me, that's the, you know, the height of situational handicapping. And as I said on Dan and Mike's show this morning when we were talking about you, everybody has different styles of handicapping. No one style is right or wrong. You know, it's all about the results that you attain and how you get to your place to make your wagers. And, you know, you're very successful as a numbers guy. I'm very successful as a situational guy in, you know, analyzing and reading lines and, and different things. Everybody brings something different to the table. That's what's great about pregame. Not only does everybody, you know, have different ways of handicapping, and, you know, obviously we're all selling our picks too, but there's so much information that we share with, you know, the forum members, the listeners to the podcast, your show, Dan and Mike's, um, our video podcast with myself and Vegas Runner. It, it's all learning, and we're all teaching and preaching the things that we use that people that come to pregame, you know, it's, you know, again, you know, for Marco, this is a great segue. It's like going to a buffet, only this is a sports knowledge buffet. You you get everybody's style, and you get to learn from everybody, and that's that's one great deal. Yeah, and I and I particularly love listening to you because it is such you know you and I are are I wouldn't say the complete opposite ends of the spectrum, but in large part we are sort of we look at things very differently, and that's why I love listening to your angles on that. And I know I was on the phone with you last night as you coasted to your over victory uh, in that Orlando uh, Celtics game. Um, so you know, props to you on that. It, Thank what, you. What What's interesting about the uh, Perkins thing, not only was it, you know, I think everybody agrees, some of the more questionable, especially the second technical when he's actually walking away or stomping away or whatever it was that he was doing. Um, I think you're right. I think, you know, David Stern is getting a lot of heat right now for his fines on Mark Cuban and Steve Kerr for what were very benign comments uh, about LeBron James and people are already sort of, you know, blasting him for that. I can't imagine uh, that they would uphold the suspension for Perkins in Game 6. Um, Celtics are three-point favorites, the total at 189. Uh, I'm going to guess, well, it's still a travel situation, and it's still only one-day rest, so what are your thoughts there? Well, the situation going, I can't do the handicapping officially until we know this, you know, if Perkins is going to be in there. Yeah. Um, the key with, you know, if you don't have Perkins, you're losing six fouls on Dwight Howard. I, I mean, you know, when he's in there, the, the way that you got to stop, you know, Dwight Howard is you got to beat him up. Um, he's faster, you know, uh, stronger than, you know, anything the Celtics have. And in the first three games, you know, they weren't getting the ball inside him. They were trying to make too many outside shots. They weren't moving the ball around. In the last two games, they went to their bread and butter. They got back into their, you know, their passing game, moving in transition and getting the ball in motion inside Dwight Howard. I mean, how many dunks has he had in the last two games? Yeah. And that's why you take a shooting percentage that in the first three games was, I think, 36, 39 in the low 40s, you know, to last night they shot 52%. When you're dunking the ball, you're going to shoot 52%, believe me. Uh, so, you know, that's the key. And if you don't have that body in there, you know, to bang on him and make him, you know, earn a couple of those at the foul line, uh, that it's going to be, you know, huge uh, advantage for 
uh, Orlando. You also got the question mark, um, you know, Glenn Davis. He's had a great, you know, a very good series, Glenn Davis has. I mean, he is, you know, I mean, how many shots has he blocked and, you know, altered shots down, you know, inside? He, he's been a force to be reckoned with. Um, if he's not able to go with, the, you know, the concussion on Friday, uh, Boston's in a little bit of trouble because they got to win, game, you know, game six. They do not want to go to Game 7 in Orlando. Isn't that a fascinating thing about a series where the Celtics, and even for those of us who, who are all over the Celtics in Game 2 and Game 3, just from a motivational standpoint, we sort of knew instinctively to stay away from them in a Game 4 situation because you're always worried about a letdown, and now obviously what happened last night. You're so right. Isn't that amazing that this team that's about to you know, just get all the accolades of perhaps sweeping the best team, or I should say the second best team record-wise in the Eastern Conference during the regular season, and now, as you say, must win. <laughs> must win. Absolutely. That's that's why I love um, playoff basketball, NBA style, you know, the, the seven-game series, because it is all about momentum. And, you know, one thing can, you know, can change momentum in, you know, Flipping over to the the Phoenix Lakers, I mean, same scenario, you know. Lakers go up 2-0, you know, because everybody had been you know sweeping, you know, in the last round, you know. In Boston goes up three nothing. Everybody expected the Lakers to you know go in there and, and take the first game at Phoenix as well. Um, I was on Phoenix in that game. Phoenix won, but coming out of that game, and this is what you know. People look, they see something, they listen to the announcers, and then they draw a conclusion. Most people that came out of the Phoenix Game 3, the takeaway they had was the referees got Phoenix to win. Phoenix had 19 more foul attempts uh, than the Lakers did. That was the difference in the ball game. Stoudemire had uh, you know, a game for the ages playoff career best 42 points no way that that can happen again in game four so much so that the betting public took a game that phoenix was favored in game three and won you know they didn't lose they won and turned around and crossed the line to make the lakers the favorite in game four what happens in game four the Phoenix bench shows up for the first time in the in the series and goes off and is the difference of the game uh, in that one. And Phoenix, you know, finally started knocking down, you know, the shots away they have, you know, all season. And now we go back to L.A. and the pressure is on, you know, the Lakers. You know, this has now gone from, you know, up 2-0, looking like a potential sweep, so this is now a three-game series, and playing at home, game five of a you know a two-two series. Everybody knows the winner of game five goes on to win the series. You know, a high majority of the time. So let me ask you. And, let me ask you this, Marco. How how much of of your game five assessment right now, which is actually the game tonight, as we know, uh, Lakers favored by a whopping eight points in this game after having dropped the last two in Phoenix with the total at 217.5. How much of your assessment of tonight's game then comes down to a sort of decision on 
how much are the refs going to favor the Lakers at home in this one versus the actual basketball strategy that we've seen in the last two games, which is, in essence, Alvin Gentry actually doing some coaching, putting the uh, Suns in zone on defense, forcing the Lakers to shoot from outside, and secondarily on that, the fact that the Lakers just don't seem to know how to D up on these guys. No, you hit all of the points of the game. Um, the first point, obviously, you know, we don't want to say that uh, referees, you know, influence games, but, you know, they do to a, to a degree, you know, if they're going to call a game tight or they're not going to call a game tight. You know, obviously, they called game three very tight, and, you know, Phoenix was the team, you know, that was out in transition and penetrating, and we're, we're getting the calls inside. Uh, will they do that tonight? Uh, will that favor the Lakers, you know, being at home? You know, yeah, the Lakers are going to probably get a few, you know, a few more calls at home. It's just, you know, it's, I don't know, it's subconscious. I don't think it's a conscious effort, but referees, you know, at home, you know, it, it just seems like the, the home team gets the call. So you do have that factor. But the difference to me coming into game five for Phoenix is, you know, Phoenix now comes in here with confidence. Um, the game one, they got blown, you know, they got hit by a 62% shooting barrage in the first half. The Lakers were hitting everything they were throwing up in game one. And even with that, if you remember back to game one, Phoenix was only down seven at the half when the Lakers shot 62%. So they can play with the Lakers. They hit a stretch in the, in, uh, the third quarter, late third quarter, early fourth, where Phoenix went cold and the Lakers just blew the game open. Same thing happened in game two. You know, Lakers got out to a quick start. Phoenix climbed back in it. And then Phoenix had that one stretch where they went cold again and the Lakers blew the game open to win by double digits. Um, Phoenix has played a lot better then, you know, the final scores would indicate it's just been a case of the Lakers shooting so high. I think that changes a little bit tonight. Will the Lakers win tonight? Yeah. I think the Lakers find a way to win. Do they win by eight? You know, we're paying a premium because the Lakers are in a must-win and they're a marquee franchise team. You know, we always talk about, you know, Vegas Runner and myself on our podcast, we always talk about there's certain teams in every sport that there's just a built-in bias to the line mm -hmm. because the odds maker know that, you know, they're the most recognizable teams and the public is just going to bet them. You know, your, your Yankees in baseball, your Notre Dames in football, you know, and most definitely the L.A. Lakers in basketball. Uh, it, it's just a given fact. So not only are you paying a premium for the Lakers, you're paying a premium for the must-win situation. Um, if you speak value, there really is no value on the Lakers tonight. Does that mean they can't cover eight? No, it doesn't mean that. I'm just saying, you know, it, it's like a stock. Instead of buying low, you're buying this stock at its highest peak and hoping it's still going to go higher. Don't you think, Marco, and I agree with with most all that you're saying, if, if not all, don't you think in addition to the public factor of the Lakers where there's a, a premium in the line, is there not a, I don't know if it's a point, a point and a half, I don't know what it is, is there not a home team referee premium in the NBA playoffs, or do you just not buy into that at all? 
it's there. I don't know that it's really built into the line. I, I, I think it's there game-wise that there's definitely going to be, you know, a little bit more of an edge to the home teams. But, uh, you know, Vegas, they, I feel Vegas reacts to the games based on what happened in the, in the last game. Um, but, and that's why you're paying a premium tonight. Um, both games in L.A., the Lakers got the money. So they're not going to bring the line out lower. They're going to bring the line, at worst, the same as the last game or higher. It's higher because everybody now, you know, puts that must-win tab on the game. So there's where you're paying the premium to me. I think the must-win tab is worth a point to a point and a half in the NBA for sure. And people feel that this is. I mean, if the Lakers have to go back to Phoenix down 3-2, I mean, they're at a huge, huge disadvantage. Um, so they're going to do this. Where I think the, the value may be, and Vegas has already adjusted this, and, and it surprises me that they've done it this way, both of the first games in L.A. soared over the total. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't even, it wasn't even close to the total. They brought this game out lower than they brought out the last game in Phoenix. The last game in Phoenix closed at 221 for a push, and that's where the game landed. And they brought this game out. We're sitting here. Uh, let me look at the updated line. But the last time I looked, I was looking at 217. Yeah, I got 217 um, and a half where I'm looking. Yeah, okay. Now, Bodog has moved to 218, which um, we all know that, Bodog is the home of Squaresville. And, <laughs> that's um, right, Square Central. You know, that's where squares go to die. <laughs> you know, um, it, you know, you're looking at nearly eighty percent of the bets are on the over, and yet the total opened on this game two eighteen at the Greek and two nineteen at Chris, which to me are the are the two most reputable offshores. I don't want to say reputable. Let me rephrase that. Those are the two lines that I respect the most in the offshore community. And they opened it at 218, 219. And then, you know, early this morning, I saw this thing down to 217, you know, telling me some sharps have jumped on the under. And it makes sense to me situationally wise, because I said game five in a 2-2 series is the most important game. Um, so you're going to play that game a little differently. I think the Lakers have to make adjustments because Phoenix now has figured out how to score. And the Lakers now, you know, Phil Jackson's got to go to the chalkboard and he's got to draw up some defenses to slow this Phoenix team down. Um, I said it at the beginning when the Lakers won the first game in a route um, in a fast-paced game. I said if this the Lakers cannot win this in seven games if they play up and down the court with the Suns. The Suns are too good at that style of game. The Lakers, at some point in this series, need to slow this down and get it into a half-court game. And this may be that game tonight. And isn't part of wouldn't part of that sharp thinking about the under Marco? And I'm just sort of thinking out loud here. But wouldn't part of that thinking be that at least in a couple of these games? the foul-fest nature of the last minute and a half has been extremely uh, of an outlying nature. In other words, it's been almost, almost over the top in a couple cases, and you can't really figure on that happening every night out. You can't. And again, 
you know, when you get down to those final um, two and a half minutes of a game, it depends where the game's sitting at. And right. a perfect a perfect example of that um, was a game, I believe it was game two of Boston-Orlando. Um, I had the over in that game. Uh, it was one, the over was 187. I needed two points in the final 45 seconds. <laughs> it's a three-point game. Mm-hmm. Vince Carter goes to the line to shoot two. All I need him to do is to make one foul <laughs> shot, and I'm guaranteed I'm going to hit the over because you know it's going to change the it's going to change the scoring complex. You didn't you uh, didn't know Nick Anderson was showing up, did you? Yeah, he bricks both of them, so they get the ball back with you know like 38 seconds to go. Orlando or Boston's coming up the floor. Or because there's a difference in the shot clock, in the game clock, and it's a three-point game, Orlando doesn't foul. Right. And Boston, you know, dribble, 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 till we get to six seconds, and then we go into our offense and gets off a poor shot, misses, you know, Orlando grabs a rebound and goes brain dead instead of calling the timeout immediately. Uh, Reddick starts to dribble up the floor, loses two seconds, and then calls timeout so you can't advance the ball. And they get off a horrible shot to try to tie the, the game. So I get zero points in the final 45 seconds of a game that if, it's a, if that game's sitting on four, yeah. then, they're, then they're fouling. The, the Laker games have been in situations where we haven't had the tight game at the end of the game. So it has be every one of them has become a foul fest at the end of the game. And a lot of scoring has happened in the final two minutes, whereas in tight games, you don't get that, you know, every possession means something. So if you get a tight game, that definitely helps you for a guy that's got the under. Yeah, and not only a foul fest, I should I should add a foul fest of the ridiculous nature where even, every, I mean, everyone knows you still aren't going to win this game and you're still fouling with, you know, you're down 10 with, you know, 30 seconds left in the game. You know, it's ridiculous at some point. So I think that's probably part of their thinking on the under. Absolutely. Yeah, um, and, and I won't belabor this anymore because we'll move on to your thoughts on baseball today briefly, but... Um, the, the reason that I do bring up the ref thing with the NBA, because I do think it, it is worth worth just saying that there is a, I think there's a perception that in, that umps over the scheme of baseball games don't matter in terms of, you know, a side benefiting in any sort of cultural endemic way to the sport. In the football playoffs, you know, yes, there's a home field advantage, but people believe it's a home field advantage because the team that has it is considerably better, their crowd is raucous, and if a road team wins, well, they really earn it on their own merits, and there's no conspiracy theory. But in the NBA, I think if you ask the general public, do you really think that the Phoenix Suns are going to win this series? I think most people would respond in, the, in this way. I don't think the NBA will allow the Phoenix Suns to win this series. There's a different perception of the National Basketball Association than there is of the other two major sports. And so that's why I ask when it comes to the lines, is it a factor in there? And, I, and it's an interesting thing to me that is specific to the NBA. That's a great, that is absolutely a, a great debate. Um, you know, the NBA conspiracy theory uh, that, you know, that it is orchestrated. I can tell you this much. If the NBA does dictate what happens, 
I can guarantee you they did not want three sweeps in the last round. That's for sure. That is okay, for sure. So for, all, for all of the conspiracy theory people, there is no way the NBA would have ever let four, you know, three series go four games and that's it. Because every game that's played is money for the NBA, money for the owners, TV, commercials. Sweeps cost money, and they cost a lot of money. And they actually cost me some money, too, yeah. <laughs> because I said again from those <laughs> Uh But, you know, definitely not. But it, it is that, you know, you've given me a great topic sometime for a uh, podcast uh, with VR when, we, when we're just talking, uh, you know, theory, because that is one that's out there more than anything else. Now, you know, you talked about, you know, umpires and referees and other sports. And just to say quickly, um, you know, in football, generally, you know, other than, you know, if, if you're talking about a, a nip-and-tuck game, you know, one play, you know, generally doesn't, you know, doesn't, can, you know, change the complex of a game, um, you know, can make it, you know, a big difference, you know, a touchdown play in that. But that's why the NFL has replay, yeah. so that those key plays can be corrected if they're wrong. So I agree with your analysis of, of the football. In baseball, there is one area that, uh, I think referee, or excuse me, umpires, I should say, um, that it is an angle to consider, and some people do use this as a handicapping method. It's not one that I do, but people do. Not so much with the, the side. I agree with you. Uh, an umpire is not going to dictate the side, but I do believe certain umpires can dictate the totals. Oh, yeah. And that goes to, and, and it's, it's just human nature. Everybody has their own style. Some umpires are known, you know, for short strike zones, and some are known for wide strike zones. And obviously, if you got a guy that's on the mound that's a finesse pitcher that really, you know, lives and dies off of, you know, nipping those corners, um, a guy that's got a tight strike zone is going to be a hindrance to that pitcher. And obviously, if you're getting more guys on base, that's going to affect the total. Yeah. So that's the only place where I really think that, uh, you know, an official umpire, referee, whatever, does have, you know, an area. And in the NBA, yes, again, um, I think that a, a referee can control a total more than he can control an actual game. Because if you're calling a game very tight and you're putting people on the foul line all night long, that's points going on the scoreboard without the, the clock moving, and we all know where, where that's going to end up. Yeah, but wrapping this up with the, with, the, uh, with the umpires, I do a show every week, either Monday or Tuesday, depending on the week, where I talk about the uh, umpires behind home plate with the biggest pension for calling over games and the biggest pension for calling under games. So I absolutely agree that, uh, and I always say it, I'm like, you know, I'm just going to pound these umpires' names into into the ground until people realize that there really is a lot to this in terms of their strike zones. You know, certain umpires, just that's how they call games. Um, and then with the, um, with the NBA, uh, I don't 
agree myself with a conspiracy. By the way, one of the great answers to that question is whenever I have Mark Spears of Yahoo Sports, an NBA expert on the show, his whole response to that is, hey, if the NBA was fixing this thing, do you think LeBron would have been eliminated last year and this year, you know, before making the finals? And the answer is clearly no way. I think when you and VR talk about it, I think what's interesting to me and then sort of from the gambling aspect is, is it part of the line going into a ball game? That's what's interesting. That's going to be a good topic. You, yeah. you, you got so you got something for me to use. So appreciate cool. that. We'll let you know when we do that. One. All right, cool. Um, let's talk baseball today. I know uh, you've got some thoughts on some situational stuff, perhaps. Yes, uh, I've got uh, I've got one game that uh, you know it's a early evening game goes at six thirty five Eastern, and uh, this is probably going to be. Uh, you know I do the trap uh, post every day where yes. I, I look at a game and dissect it and say things don't just don't look uh, kosher to me. And uh, this is that game, St. Louis-San Diego. And uh, last night we did get a win with the uh, San Diego Padres as our trap play. Um, we're going to jump over the fence today. And I'm going to be looking hard at uh, St. Louis today uh, for a couple reasons. Um, obviously, uh, I went against St. Louis last night. I felt the line was very low for the St. Louis Cardinals in San Diego. Uh, I thought it looked too easy to take St. Louis. Um, you know, they, they were pitching, you know, throwing another, you know, pitcher at the, the Padres last night. We all know the Padres um, struggle for uh, to score runs. This is a situation that going tonight, uh, the roles are reversed. They made. Uh, they made San Diego the favorite tonight with LeBanc on the mound because St. Louis is throwing a rookie, uh, making his first start of the year. Uh, Situational-wise, this is an angle I love as a handicapper. Mm-hmm. And you will see me almost every single time when a rookie makes a start on the road, I'm going to take him. He's going to be a dog. Um, because he is a rookie and he is on the road and nobody knows anything about him, and I'm going to be getting a price, and this is a long-term investment. At the end of the year, I've only got to hit close to 50%. I don't have to hit 50%. I can be a few games under 50% with this angle, and I will have made money because I'm going to have several big dogs with this angle. The nuts and bolts of it is, yeah, nobody knows anything about um Walters for St. Louis tonight, that includes the San Diego hitters. When teams face a pitcher for the first time, huge advantage to the pitcher all the time because they don't know what's coming. They don't know, you know, you're, you're, they haven't seen your release. They haven't seen your fastball. They haven't seen your curve, whatever you got. This is an advantage to a pitcher, and I'm going to take that situation every single time. Well, and you are, uh, that's fascinating because you are actually backed up um, by performances we've seen in the major leagues just this year. Just in the first seven weeks of baseball this year, we've seen a number of occasions where that has played out exactly as as you're saying it. I I remember backing uh, Julius Chassin for the Rockies in a road game at San Francisco, uh, when they, when the Rockies were plus 150, but it was the same theory. Here you've got this guy Sanchez, you know, threw a no-hitter last year. The Giants are rolling. Chassin, you know, one start last year, but he's really just, this is really his debut in essence. 
and, right. and he just rolled through them. And then there's other, you know, these might not have been road games, but whether it was John Ely of the Dodgers, whether it was Takahashi for the Mets, these guys who are going up against veteran pitchers their first time out have all performed, you know, phenomenally well. So, yeah. And I, I think, yo, know, a little note that I will do this all year long, but I really think it's stronger earlier in the season because if a if a guy's getting called up and getting a start now, if it's a you know again you look at situations if it's a, a team that's their pitching staffs in total disarray, you know you got the fourth or fifth starters been getting bombed on a regular basis, uh, or you got you know injuries and you're forced to make move you know moves, um, you know it's a little bit different. But when you call somebody up early in the season, this guy's generally the real deal, uh, you know as opposed yeah. to when you bring the guys later in the season when you expand the rosters you'll see a lot of guys get starts in the month of September um, you know they're guys that are prospects and you know you know and, and good prospects at that but I think if, if you're called up during the season um, you know before they expand the rosters you know they're they're calling you up for a reason you you've got some good stuff there and um, I, you know I like that scenario. I'll take this situational handicapping one step further as much as i like these guys the first time that they face a team and the first time around the league i do flip flop the second time and just last uh thursday was a situation of that and i forget the pitcher's name um but it was the mets playing washington uh the rookie for washington uh Pitch just uh, you know tremendous against the Mets the first time he faced them, but this was already going to be the second time he faced them this year, and the Mets lit him up, and um, you know they jumped out to a 10-1 lead and you know held on for a 10-7 win, but you know it's advantage first time, you know disadvantage second time. I don't want to necessarily say disadvantage, but the advantage is gone. So now you're pitching on pure talent, and the guys, you know, are familiar with you. And I found more often than not that uh, the team will do better against that team the second second time they face Interesting. that particular pitcher. Interesting. And this P.J. Walters uh, for the Cardinals is sort of like the uh, Chassin uh, situation that I talked about with the Rockies earlier this year. He's not a brand-new pitcher. He did have a cup of coffee and had actually had a start, one single start, just like Chassin did with the Rockies last year. Walters did with the Cardinals last year. And so here he is, as you point out, not the greenest of green pitchers, but um, a guy who they feel comfortable uh, replacing Brad Penny in the rotation today. Let me ask you one final question about that game, Marco. Uh, how much of that number, in other words, I think it's at about plus 110-ish right now, how much of that um, were you disappointed in? In other words, were you exp- if that had been plus 150, for instance, um, would you have been more inclined or less inclined to have taken it? Well, it's an automatic... You know, it's an automatic play for me to take regardless, you know, because I'm going to take these rookies. Um, but the fact that it's low actually makes me like the game more. That's what I thought. And that that falls into why this will be in my trap blog today. Yeah. Um, this is, a, you know, because, you know, here you go. You've got San Diego won the first two games of the season, you know, you know how I do it. If you've read my trap blog, how I, I start the trap blog out every day talking like the average 
better. John, I call him John Q. Public. In John Q. Public, the first line I'm going to have is saying, wow, San Diego beat St. Louis the first two games of this series. You know, they, they beat, uh, you know, two name pitchers, you know, uh, the first two nights. Tuesday night they faced uh, Wayne Wright. And then last night, you know, they faced Garcia. You know, not big name pitchers, but you know, guys that have been, you know, in the league. And then now tonight they're facing a rookie. So if they can win those first two games, now they're facing a rookie. They should, you know, beat him even easier. That's how the public's going to think. And I'm getting San Diego at virtually just over a pick'em. Um, I I love to focus in around those pick'em games in how the public looks because those are the games the public's going to look at first just pick the winner it's human nature they don't like to lay you know juice their their mindset just can't bring them to bet big dogs you know so they're naturally going to look at all those games that have you know the pick em situation and you know earlier in the week we had a, a the trap game where the dodgers were going into chicago in a pick-the-winner situation, Dodgers were the hottest team in baseball, 12-2, and two, heading out on the road, looked like the ships righted, going in to play the Cubs, who, you know, have been underachieving, as they usually do. Um, and it was a great situation to take the home team there because the public would want the Dodgers in a pick-the-winner situation. I think you have that same situation here, plus the fact that St. Louis has scored one run in two games. You know, they're going to look at that. And they played extra innings last night and still couldn't. Oh, know, don't, I, back don't I know it, Marco. Don't I know it. <laughs> well, I mean, they had first, I think it was in the 11th inning, because I, I, I do a radio yeah, show yes, it um, on Wednesday nights, a uh, uh, Chris Townsend show out in your area. Oh, yeah. In uh, the situation, uh, he kept giving live updates while we were doing the um the show last night and they had first and third with nobody out in the 11th inning and st louis couldn't get a run in you're killing me i know i know because <laughs> sorry, no, sorry because yadier molina felt the need to advance from second to third on a play that he shouldn't have yeah you know it ends up being a double it ends up getting a double play out of it and uh. yeah uh, so I, that's just a great situation as a situational handicapper and this pulls up in my trap theory um you know with the line so you know this is a, this is a no brainer you know for marco today is to have st louis well you're going to you're going to love this cuz i don't i never thought of this before this moment but this is an absolutely true story some 3 decades ago and this will age me but some 3 decades ago a uh, there was an orioles yankees series i was a you know the youngest of young kids in elementary school and uh, a teacher who was a Yankees fan. I grew up as an Orioles fan in the D.C. area. We had no team at that point in D.C. The Orioles were playing the Yankees, and a teacher bet me a Coke without knowing who the starters were that the Yankees would beat the Orioles. I, of course, knew who the starters were, and I took him up on the offer. He later discovered that it was Jim Palmer going for the Orioles, of course, a you know, three-time Cy Young Award winner and I think seven-time 20-game winner up against a rookie by the name of Jim Beatty for the New York <laughs> Yankees. And lo and behold, who do you think won the game? Beatty and the Yankees. Uh, I lost a yep. Coke. So one of my first gambling lessons you have sort of jogged in my head some 30 years later. Thank you, Marco you D'Angelo. One, one of the best rookie ones that I remember betting uh, was Fernando Valenzuela. I, I mean, 
and obviously when he came onto the scene, he came on with you know, with fanfare. But you know, there was a guy. You you know, your story reminded me of Fernando, and which triggered when I re- remembered Fernando another angle to the rookie. Uh, now this doesn't apply to Walters, but I think when you get the you know the rookie facing a team the first time, um, when it is a left-hander, it brings it up. To you know, a couple more percentage points, um, and the reason being, a left-hander is just unorthodox to begin with. Um, you know that, I know that. So you know, the delivery is totally different, and now you've got a left-hander that you never seen. It's a little, it's it's a, it's a higher percentage advantage, I believe, than a rookie right-hander. Just a little bit, but just wanted to add that in there. Yeah. Walters is not a left-hander, but but yeah, I understand the point on that. That's that's it is so true, and I just I'm just so amused that somehow that that was in the deep recesses of my brain somewhere, Marco. And I have that's amazing that you were able to call that out. Well, well you, know, you you had to call that teacher up and tell him, look at me now. I'm on the pregame pros homepage with the best-looking pitcher of all the cappers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, thank you. That guy's name, by the way, Dick Walker. I'll never forget him. Thanks, Dick, for taking that Coke away from me. <laughs> hey, you, you can't start winning until you learn how to lose. That's exactly right. I say it to everybody. so true. Well, Marco, thank you very much, not only for uh, being on the show today, but obviously uh, for having the confidence in me to allow me to join the ranks of the pregame pros. Uh, again, I am humbled, and I thank you, sir. No problem. And do you need the address for that hundred dollar bill? Yeah, 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 yeah. If you could just maybe your PayPal account would be great. Okay, no problem, Bill. Uh, you know, best of luck. And really, you don't need luck when you do hard work. And I've seen your work, so I don't need to wish you luck. I know you'll do well. I appreciate it. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a luck based endeavor for me. I, I really, I, I enjoy what I do, and I'm, I'm confident in the process. Marco, thank you very much. Marco D'Angelo, everybody, and uh, we'll get you back on before the Belmont next week. Absolutely. We've, we've done good with the first two, so let's see what we can do in uh, Belmont. Yeah, you were killing on the Preakness. Marco, thanks. Gil Alexander, betting dork. We will have VR in his usual spot tomorrow. Stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening.